Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Well, we are in this, uh, this series on the armor of God, the full armor of God, and I'm excited to be able to pick up where Pastor left off, uh, I believe it's two weeks ago now, um, but we'll turn our Ephesians in just, uh, turn our Ephesians, we'll turn our attention to Ephesians in just a moment. I'm already getting ahead of myself. It's exciting stuff, but I want to echo, Pastor said, just phenomenal things that are happening in the presence of God. And let that be, yes, an encouragement to us, but let that also be a challenge to us that any time that we engage with the presence of God, no matter where you're at, miracles can happen. The presence of God can move in your living room, in your car, wherever you're at. If you engage in the presence of God, this doesn't have to be a only when we get to church thing that we experience. That's the beauty of the presence of God is it's tangible, it's touchable anywhere that you are. He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read this portion, verses 10 through 18, and then we'll jump in on that tonight. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to take some time and uh, focus on just a few elements of the armor of God. And we're going to look specifically through verses 14 through 16. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to talk about our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, the shield of faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm uh, thankful to be able to follow up uh, Pastor in this series. He had the task of not only presenting the first elements of this, but breaking down the whole reason that we needed to do it in the first place. And I I like that uh, this is, and I won't spend a whole lot of time redoing what he's already done, but I like the element of this putting on the whole armor of God because it puts responsibility on us. It doesn't say show up, you know, go down in the water and then speak in other tongues and then God just slaps this armor on you. That's not how that works. It requires effort on our part. It requires a determined action to say, I'm going to put on the full armor of God. When he says that any man in Christ is a new creature, behold, old things are passed away and all things are become new. He tells us to 
put off the old lifestyle, the old conversation concerning the old man. But he doesn't stop there. He says, then put on the new man who's robed and clothed in the things of God. There's a definitive action that we have to take and we have to understand the reality of it that I've got to engage with the word of God. I've got to engage with my surroundings. I've got to engage spiritually in the things that are going on. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against things, spiritual wickedness in high places. And it's not something that we take lightly. It's something that if I'm going to go into spiritual battle, I better be prepared to do it. And if I'm going into spiritual battle, I'm going to need something a little more substantial than this suit coat. Amen? Amen. So we're looking at the, the actions that were taking place about, about putting on this armor of God. Amen. So we'll look at... Uh, Verse 14, we, we talked last, uh, last service about the loins girt about with truth. We're picking up here with having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, it's not a big secret of what a breastplate is. There's no uh, spiritual breakdown that I can give you that wouldn't already make sense to what a breastplate is. It's exactly what it sounds like. It covers the torso. Uh, it's worn to protect the front of the torso in battle. And why might it be important to protect the torso? Well... Mainly because that's where all of our vital organs are stored. I'm not a doctor, but I could just about imagine that swords and spears and arrows and knives and axes and even blunt objects that are wielded with enough force have the potential to cause extreme damage to said organs. Thus, it would behoove us as soldiers in battle to protect our torso. Now, understanding verse 12, it said, again, as I'll reiterate, we wrestle not against flesh and blood... Right, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We aren't talking about a literal physical breastplate to be worn, but in a spiritual battle, I would submit to you today that it's no less important to guard the vital organs of our spirit, our spiritual vital organs, most specifically, most importantly, uh, our hearts. See, God tells us to put on this breastplate. He knows indeed that the children of God are going to fight battles on the spiritual front. We are going to need our hearts to be guarded and guarded well. But he doesn't just say, figure out a breastplate type situation and, and good luck. He says that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He puts a label to it. He puts a title to it. He doesn't say just, oh, you know, just go down to the hall of armor and pick one out that looks cool. Maybe it's got like a lion on it. I want that one because, I don't know, it looks fierce. But no, he doesn't say just, you know, think of something that you think is good. Pick out something that you think will be good. He gives us instruction from the word and says, I want you to have this breastplate for your protection to guard your vital organs. But it doesn't just be, become whatever you want. It becomes a breastplate of righteousness. Translation, righteousness will protect your heart. But what is righteousness? By definition, righteousness is the quality or state of morally correct or justifiable. So we need to have a state of being morally correct or justifiable. Our actions need to be able to be uh, upheld with a right point of view. If I'm interpreting scripture correctly, I think that I am or I wouldn't do it, uh, by keeping myself morally right, morally correct, morally just, I'm protecting my heart. That means I can guard my heart, not just from others' actions, but I can guard my heart with my own actions. If we're a generally good person, 
Your heart isn't affected by those attacks. That sounds too simplistic. I'm just reading the word of God. If we're going to extrapolate this theory out a little bit, how many of the vital organs can we look at and spiritualize? Well, obviously the heart, right? We're told Proverbs 4.23, it tells us, guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. Our lungs are physically used to breathe air, right? Spiritually, Genesis 2.7 said, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. From creation, our lungs were designed to be filled with the breath of God. Not getting too spooky yet, right? We're talking about spiritual things here. I'm going to try not to derail us too much because I've got a task to accomplish in the Holy Ghost. But the same word, pneuma, that's used when speaking of the wind of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is the same word that is used in Genesis when it says God breathed breath into man's lungs and created life. So when we say we're born again of the Spirit, we are quite literally saying that we are having God breathe new life into your lungs. That's what he did at creation. That's how he formed man. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his lungs with his spirit breathed, that pneuma. And then when we find the book of Acts, it says that the the spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire sat upon each of them. We love this stuff, right? Acts 2. That's Pentecostal's home run scriptures, right? Woo! Acts 2. Go, fire up, brother. That's not what we're driving home tonight, but that same spirit that swept through, that's giving us the opportunity to, as Jesus said in John 3, be born again of water and of the spirit. He's giving us opportunity to have new life by him breathing life into our lungs. Seems then that our lungs spiritually have an important task to do, to be filled with the breath of God, to be filled with the spirit of God, to create life by receiving the wind of God. So we need to make sure that we're protecting these. We need to make sure that we're, we're covering these. The stomach, don't judge. We're instructed to consume or eat the word of God. First Peter 2.2 2 said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. John 6, 32, 35, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and, and gives life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. We could go on, but I want to suffice to say this. We need to spiritually protect our spiritual vital organs. And the way that we do this is through righteousness. How do we know what righteousness or righteous or or, or moral, how do we know what these things are unless we've got on that waist belt of truth that pastor preached to us about just a couple weeks ago? You see, just like a real suit of armor, we're going to find out that each piece of this armor, God works together, and without the whole armor in our lives, we're leaving ourselves vulnerable in certain situations and in certain areas. So he doesn't say, pick and choose which pieces of armor are the most comfortable and the ones you think will give you the best effort. He says, I've already got the plan in place. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Put on every aspect of this armor. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to decide which ones I want and which ones I don't. But if I'm going to take on a breastplate of righteousness, 
being able to judge that my actions are moral, are pure, are just. If I'm going to have that breastplate covering me, I've got to know what moral and right and just is. And the only place that I find that is in the Word of God. I've got to have everything tied together with this waist belt of truth, right? Holding everything together, which means that what, my, what holds me together spiritually is the truth. Is the truth. It's not hearsay. It's not what, what's, what's popular or unpopular. It's not just uh, historically what we've decided to talk about and hang our spiritual hats on. It's truth. It's rooted and grounded. And if that's what's holding us together, then all of a sudden I've got a source to be able to look to and realize all these things. So what did I mean when I say that this breastplate can protect our spiritual vital organs? We're covering our lungs. We're covering our heart. We're covering our stomachs. We're covering all of these things that, that we need to have an active spiritual life, to be full of the breath of God, to be full of the bread of life. Out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, he says. We need to be able to make sure that we're protecting that belly. You're getting a little weird. I think you're just taking liberty here. No. I'm taking the word of God, and I'm showing us why is this important. Why is this important? If I'm to guard my heart because out of it are the issues of life, then I've got to make sure that I'm guarding it in an appropriate way. Now, if I'm going into battle and it says, guard my heart, and I'm like, that should do it. That's not going to help very much. I don't get the option to be like, oh, well, pastor's supposed to be our prayer warrior, right? So spiritual battle, I'm just going to go, I'm going to hide behind him. No, he tells us to take the action ourselves and put on this breastplate of righteousness. Let me take just a second here and explain this to us. If my actions are right, if the way that I conduct myself is appropriate according to the word of God, is moral, is just, is upright, is able to be upheld according to scripture, according to the word of God, this is the type of lifestyle that protects me. What are some of the fiery darts? What are some of the attacks that affect the heart? Bitterness, hatred, anger, doubt, self-blame, self-pity, self-worth, guilt. These are all things that start and affect our heart. And I don't protect my heart by just, oh, well, you just pray a little more. Well, that'll help. But I've got clear instruction on what to do to protect my torso, my spiritual torso. And that's to put on this righteousness. So I need to make sure that my actions, I'm carrying myself in a way that is going to protect my life. Well, why do you choose to do this and don't do that? Why do you choose to not go to that place? Why do you choose to, to not speak this way? Why do you choose to not engage in that type of humor? Why do you choose to not do this? Why do you think that everything's about rules and lists and regulations? It's not, and if that's what you're thinking, then you're on the wrong track. But the reason that we do set guidelines and set fences and set boundaries in our lives is because living with righteousness is what protects my heart. If my mind is right and my mind is stayed on God and my decisions, my actions are dictated on the things that are pure and holy and just, then by simply doing that and conducting myself in that way, I'm protecting myself from offenses. Amen. I'm protecting myself from living a life of guilt. How do you figure? Well, let's figure. If I'm doing things that make me feel guilty, chances are pretty good those aren't righteous things. You don't need a Bible college degree to figure that one out. If it makes you feel guilty, it's probably not a righteous thing. 
Okay, so if I'm conducting myself in a way that makes me feel guilty, I'm taking off a breastplate. I'm never putting that righteousness on to guard my heart. So I'm opening myself up to the attacks of the enemy. I'm opening my heart up. To, I'm exposing my heart. I'm exposing my stomach. I'm exposing my lungs to potential attacks because I haven't yet corrected my actions. So I thought, you know, God was just about love. You just come as you are. Absolutely. He says, come as you are. He tells everybody, come as you are. Whosoever will, come unto God. Whosoever will. Matter of fact, he says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Which means that he wants everybody to come. But that's not where the journey ends. Yes, come. But once you get into the presence of God, he's calling us to change. He's calling us to take some action. He's calling us to put on some armor. He's calling us to say these things that are affecting your life, that are making you feel guilty, that are filling you with bitterness. These interactions, these relationships that aren't healthy, these relationships that are pulling you away from God. When you're engaging in these things, you are not uh, putting on this righteousness to cover your spiritual body. So my actions, my actions on a day-to-day basis can either expose me to danger or protect me from danger. Makes a little bit more sense then now why we might decide as, as, as Christians, as people trying to be closer to God, why some things just aren't beneficial for my life. We've got to have a line set. We've got to have a decision made. We've got to have some, some principles in place in our lives. And it's great when we hear them come across the pulpit, but it's even more powerful when it comes across in your own personal time of prayer and it's a, a, a thing directly from God, a conviction that God places in your life and says, you know what, uh, Paul wrestled with this. He said, all things are lawful unto me, but they're not all beneficial unto me. Sure, you can do anything you want to do, but it might not benefit you. So we take some time to examine ourselves and say, is this helping me? Is this protecting me? Or is this exposing me? Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. It's an important step. And it's not, again, it's not just about having the fancy piece of armor. It's about protecting your internal organs, your spiritual organs. Your body cannot function without your heart, without your lungs. And our spiritual body cannot function without our heart and without our lungs. Amen? Amen. So the breastplate of righteousness. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, And your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Right off the bat, I want to correct something that sometimes gets misconstrued here. Oftentimes when you hear people like rattle this off, like the, the, the Christian bookstore placard, the memes, uh, they shorten everything and they get something wrong. and say, oh, the waist belt of truth, blessed plate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, helmet of salvation, shoes of peace. He does not say that your feet are shod with his peace. That's not what he says. Do I believe that there's peace of God? Absolutely. That's another sermon for another time. That's not what this is. He's not saying... Put on peace as part of your armor. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If there's peace, why would I be putting on armor? We're wrestling against not flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you want me to have peace? 
No, he's calling us into battle. He's calling us into action, which is why we're putting on armor in the first place so that we have these shoes, these, these sandals in, in the day. What it would have been was a sandal, but it wasn't just a standard sandal. It was one that would, would lace in a way that they had their feet, not only just, just about protection, but it was more about having grip in, terrain, in the terrain and being able to push and being able to lunge and being able to walk and have traction. Because your feet need to be guarded. Now, you can charge full-hardy into battle. You can charge ready to go. But if you step on a rock, you're going to be out of commission for a little bit. Anybody ever run outside to check the mail bare feet? And you're like, "Ah, this doesn't feel the same without shoes on. You step on that one pebble, and all of a sudden, you question your Holy Ghost. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) So all the much more, when we're charging into battle... We need to make sure that our feet are covered, but not about peace. It says, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet are to be covered, clothed, armed with the gospel. What's the significance there? Your feet carry you. Your feet guide you and direct you. Your feet take you everywhere that you go. Your feet lead you into battle. Your feet can help you advance when necessary and retreat when needed. Your feet help you climb. They help you have traction. Your feet are vital to every operation of being a soldier. And herein lies the significance. The gospel should be our guidance. It should be our foundation. It should be what we grow in, what we move in, what we operate in, what we do battle in. We, we should have this gospel as our guiding light, our direction, our foundation needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel literally means the good news. The good news, the gospel, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is tied directly to this good news. We need to have a death, a burial, a resurrection experience in our spirit. Apostle Paul said it this way, I die out to sin daily. I die to sin daily. So our death is surrendering our sinful nature, repenting, turning away of those sins. And then it tells us that we are buried with him in baptism, covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. We go all the way down in the water so that we are covered, so that we're buried, so that the old can be washed away and we come up with newness of life. We're born again of the water. But it doesn't end there because we don't want our story to end with death and burial. If it ends with death and burial, then we're stuck in the ground and we don't have a testimony moving forward. My God is not still in a tomb. He didn't just die and get stuck in a cave with a stone over the front, but Sunday came around and the stone was rolled away and he resurrected and had newness of life. And he's telling you that I want you to die to your sin. I want you to bury away the old man. I want you to get rid of the sinful nature, but I'm not calling you to live a life of death. I'm calling you to newness of life, to resurrect, to be filled with my my spirit to let me breathe life into you just like I did to Adam in the beginning to say that this is my opportunity to resurrect to identify fully with Jesus Christ's example his gospel his good news was that there was a death and a burial and a resurrection and I submit to you tonight that your good news is that you have an opportunity to die out to a sinful nature, to bury it away in baptism, and to resurrect in newness of life with Jesus Christ, breathing into you the gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Our, our, the gospel should be what directs us, should be what guides us, should be what pushes us forward, our salvation tied directly to it. We've got that newness of life breathed in, and a new name 
written in glory. Why is it important to have our feet protected? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. The ways that you go, your feet, where they're carrying you, needs to be rooted and grounded in the gospel. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God, I want you to illuminate my way. I want you to show me where to go. I want you to show me what the right step is. I want you to show me what the right door is to walk through. I want you to show me what opportunity I should take advantage of and what ones I should turn away from and run the other direction. God, I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. I want you to guide my path. But the only way that we can truly make that prayer and be submitted to it is if we've got the gospel as our leading direction. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, which gives you peace, hence the gospel of peace. Having the gospel gives you peace. So if I want my actions, my, my, my deeds, if I want my life to walk in a way that's honoring to God or that's guided by God, then it's got to be submitted to the word of God. We're putting on the whole armor of God here. And we're realizing that each one of these things, they're tying themselves together. If the way that I walk, the way that I talk, the ways that I go are leading me to places that are wholesome and godly directed and God-ordained and God-guided, then by nature, I'm going to be taking the appropriate actions that I can stand on and say, this is righteous behavior. God is not going to lead us to sin. We heard it this morning. God cannot be tempted, neither tempts he any man with sin. One of my favorite scriptures tells us that, that no man is, is tempted of God, but when what? We're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. We get pulled away from that thing. But he tells us elsewhere in Corinthians, he says that there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You're not the only person that's struggling the struggle you're struggling. It was a lot of struggle. You're, you're not the only person who's going through that battle. One of the tricks that the enemy has to get into your mind, to get into your heart, is to make you feel alone and to make you feel isolated and to make you feel like, well, I, I could talk to somebody, but they wouldn't even know what I'm going through because nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through. The, there's a power to knowing the word of God. There's a power to having this hit away in your heart because I know also that the Bible tells me there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, the devil didn't just sit down in his little lab and concoct this great attack only for you. I'm sorry if that makes you feel less important, but he hasn't been able to just spend all his time developing this one special attack to hit your life. That's not how it works. He doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't have any new tools, new weapons. He, he doesn't have a developing military. He is what he is, and he's just trying to do the best he can with what he's got. Why am I taking all this time to say this? Because when we understand that there's nothing new under the sun, and then we understand the promise of the word that says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, somebody else has carried the burden. Somebody else has fought that battle. Somebody else has been in a similar situation to where you are right now. 
That's why we got the body of Christ, so that we can lean on each other, so that we can find help, so that we can find strength. But he didn't even end the scripture there. He says, uh, also, will with the temptation, he will make a way to escape. There is not a situation that you are put in that you, your only choice is negative. I didn't have any choice. That's not true. If you believe the Bible, that's not true. If you believe the word of God, there's no temptation taking you such as is common to man, but he will with the temptation also make a way of escape. That means whatever the situation is, you've got an opportunity to turn and go the other direction. I don't want to sit here and start naming a whole bunch of sins and, and proving it to you. I will if I need to, but I think you're amen in me enough to realize maybe this time I know what I'm talking about. He's not going to put you in a situation where your only option is failure. That's not how God works. Matter of fact, he doesn't even put us in the temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. <clears throat> Amen. There's a power in knowing the word of God. All right. So this, this word guiding us, directing us, leading us, our very foundation, starting from the bottom, our feet, needs to be the gospel message. This word carries me. The word guides me, guides my decisions, my thoughts, my choices, my life. This is what my feet need to be laced up in. When I wake up in the morning and before I leave the house, I got to put something on my feet. I don't leave the house without shoes physically, and we don't leave our house spiritually without first putting our feet firmly in the gospel. I won't get too detailed or graphic here. Raise your hand if you would be willing to walk through Walmart barefoot. Yikes. That's nasty, somebody just said. I don't even have to explain all the reasons that that's nasty. One, it's not safe, right? Anybody ever dropped a can on your toe? That doesn't feel good. All right? There's a danger there. I can't imagine, it's never happened to me, but I can't imagine having your bare foot run over by a shopping cart would feel too good, especially not if you get the wobbly wheel. The germs, the disease, the things that you could potentially get, and just the general nastiness that you would leave having your feet discolored and, and stained and, and yuck. Yeah. Is that enough? That's enough. All right. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. I wouldn't do that in the physical world. So why would I attempt to walk into spiritual battle barefoot? Why would I attempt to go into a spiritual battle without first making sure that I have laced up my feet, protected them with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? It's more than just a one-time only experience. It's more than just a say a little prayer, do a little thing, get a little blessing, and then you're good to go. It's a day-to-day -day thing. Every single day, I put shoes on my feet. Every single day, I protect my feet. Every single day, I know that there's a danger if they're not covered. I know that there's a nasty if they're not covered. I know that walking through this world will expose me to disease, to, to grossness, to nasty things if my feet aren't covered. And it's no different spiritually. It is no different spiritually. I wouldn't take my shoes off and run into a restroom. I'm done. That's it. I'm not saying anymore. So there's two things we take from this. First, our feet need to be covered 
But second, we need to think about where we're taking our feet. Where am I letting my feet take me? What situation am I putting myself in? And am I prepared to be in that situation? Or should I even be there in the first place? You ever walk somewhere with shoes on and still felt not clean? There's some places as a child of God you just should not go. There's some situations as a child of God you should just not put yourself in. You should not allow your feet to carry you into a place that you're feeling uncomfortable with, that you're feeling disgusted by. You shouldn't even allow your feet to carry you into that place. And how do we do that? How do we make sure that we've got that protection? By clothing them with the gospel. By clothing them with the gospel. By every day before I get out of bed before I, or before I leave the house, I put this on. I say, this is who I am. This is going to guide where I go. This is going to guide my footsteps. This is going to guide my decision making. And all these things as they're leading me and directing me into positive places, those are all additional ways that I'm also putting on that righteousness and ensuring that I'm not making the wrong decisions because I've put myself in the position to do so. Praise God. This stuff all works together. If I wasn't crazy, I'd say God knew what he was talking about. Who knew? Amen. Final thing I want to say about that, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. It says, these six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Look at this. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. But our feet that are swift in running to mischief is one of the things that the Lord hates, that he abhors when we just allow ourselves to be carried directly into a bad place, a mischievous situation. Hopefully, your mind's not going to like the cute little kid in this classroom that's just up to a little bit of no good and he's the mischief maker. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual mischief. Bad deeds, bad actions, bad things. Basically, the opposite of righteous is mischief. So when I run into those situations, that makes the Lord sick. That I would run into those places. But thankfully, thankfully, this is what I love about the Bible. It doesn't just tell us the don't do's. It gives us the flip side of every situation and says, this isn't good, but you should do this, right? And so he tells us, let my, your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. Guide my ways. Direct my paths, right? Yeah, yeah. With all this righteousness, cover your feet. Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, putting on the whole armor of God. Yeah. So if my feet are planted in the gospel and my steps are guided by the word and my loins are girt about with truth, then I know how to operate in righteousness and I know what that looks like yeah. and I can protect my heart. All tied together. Ephesians 6, 16. He says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. After everything we heard about faith this morning, I almost don't even need to do this part. Phenomenal message this morning, brother. My faith, I don't want to oversell this point, but I also don't want to underappreciate it either. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith. And I'll be honest with you, I tried to study this part out so I could like 
downplay it a little bit, and I was hoping that above all just meant like the last thing or like just covering everything else up, just like a final layer, like icing on the cake. But the danger of studying something out is you might realize it's not what you wanted it to be. And then you studied it, so you got to preach it anyways, right? It'd be easier to preach if it was just an extra layer. But what he's telling us is the reality is when he says above all, the literal interpretation is of the utmost importance. Of the utmost importance, take this shield of faith. The shield may be physically the last item that you would take up or or put on, but in battle, it's our first line of defense. What you believe, what you hold true, how you think about God, the Bible, doctrine, etc., that's the very first barrier to attacks of the enemy. This faith is the Greek word pistis, which isn't regarding to our faithfulness in this particular instance, Though we know that that's extremely important as well. That's a study for a totally different time. This faith, this, this pistis, Greek word, is assurance, belief, to believe, faith, fidelity. Our foundational truths are not the same thing as our beliefs. Whoa. Explain that to me. There's a difference in knowing something and believing something. Let me prove it to you. I... Hold my pastor in pretty high regard. I think he's a smart guy. Pastor, put you on the spot here. I've got a math question for you. 676,524 times 12. Do you know this? He doesn't know it. All right. Now, I did the math. I put it in a calculator. The answer is 8,118,288. Do you believe that? I, I promise. I, I'm not setting you up here. I really did it. You believe that, but you didn't know it. Okay, so what I believe and what I know are two different things. I'm going to let that sink in for just a minute because there's power there. I'll explain it to you, but I want you to think about it yourself first. What you believe and what you know aren't always the exact same things. Let me give you just this little example. I've been teaching truth class, elements, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, for almost 12 years now. Inadvertently, some some lesson, we always talk about being a witness and being a light. And one of the biggest hesitations that anybody ever mentions that they have is that they won't know how to answer a question. They're just not prepared. What if they get stumped? What if they get embarrassed? What if they get stumbled upon and then they, they, they trip up in their words? Let me tell you this, what you know is important. When you get into a conversation, when you get into a discussion, when when you get into an opportunity to witness, what you know is vitally important. But even if you can't point to the scripture and verse in here, but it's in here, and you believe that, that doesn't make it any less true. You didn't know this ridiculous math equation that I went. But when I prove it out with a calculator, yeah, sure, I'll believe that. He took my word for it because why? I used a calculator. You might not know how to quote every verse in the Bible. You might not know how to quote exactly why I believe what I believe, but you believe it. 
there's still an absolute power in believing because as the word demonstrates, our belief is our very first line of defense against the attacks of the enemy. My shield of faith is the last thing that I put on, but it's of the utmost importance because that's what's able to catch and quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Now, I am not by any means encouraging a dumb church. I do not want you to be ignorant in the scriptures. Bible tells us, we talked about it this morning, the Lord said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He is not calling us to be blind sheep just following around. Well, I guess if somebody said it, it must be true. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to search the scriptures and to know them individually ourselves. I will never tell somebody not to read up on the scripture. I'll never tell somebody not to question what I say. Because if it's in the Bible, then it's God's word. And his word is so much more important than mine. But if you believe, if you know, if you know it, great. But if you believe it, that's your first line of defense. Why am I breaking this down? Because you know what is, uh, what you know, it's foundational. That's the waist belt of truth that, that holds everything together like Pastor talked about. But what I believe, my thoughts, my outlook on life, my expectation of a situation, that's what's there to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Why is this important? Isn't it just semantics? This is why it's important. Your thought process is the first line of defense against the enemy. Every attack he hurls your direction does not have to be a body blow. But he's like the devil. There's no way I could stop the devil. Well, except for the fact that if we've got the name of Jesus Christ on us, we've got all power, right? But the, the reason that we allow ourselves to get so stumbled up so quickly is because we just got this, this mindset, this mentality that says, oh, well, there's attacks coming my way. There's just this, this, this flood of arrows. Fiery darts are surging at my life. I just got to stand here like this and take it. No. He says, above all, take the shield of faith wherewith you can quench, not some, not random, not little ones here and there, quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Every fiery dart of the enemy, which means there doesn't have to be one single attack that the devil hurls your direction that even gets close to touching your breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't even have to become a thing that would uh, hinder or, or question the integrity of your waist belt of truth. It doesn't even have to be a situation that I feel like I'm down. I feel like I'm beat. I feel like I'm distraught. I feel like I'm under attack. And so all of a sudden I'm questioning my gospel. No, those attacks, if we're allowing those attacks to even get to our body, to even threaten my mind, to even threaten my heart, to even threaten where my feet lead me, to even threaten my belief in the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I'm allowing those attacks to get that far, to get that close to me, then I submit to you tonight, you have not taken on the shield of faith. And the Bible says that above all, you should take on the shield of faith. Oh, but I don't know how to quote the scripture. I don't know what book it's in. I don't know the chapter or verse. I don't know where, where to find it, so I can't quote it. That's not true. That's not true. I quote scripture all the time that I might not be able to tell you where it's at, but if I look it up, it'll be there. 
What you know is important, it's foundational, it's who you are, but what you believe is your first line of defense. Your mindset, your mentality, your faith, your shield of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't see any way that I can survive this attack. That's what faith's for. It gives us evidence of things that we can't see. Hebrews 11.6. He said, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Pastor broke this down beautifully for us this morning. Faith is important. Faith is vital. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's also impossible to take on the whole armor of God. And if I don't have on the whole armor of God, then as the scripture told me in Ephesians 6, I can't stand in the evil day. He said, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand. And having done all, stand therefore. Your loins gird about with truth, right? Breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the gospel of preparation of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, putting on the helmet of salvation, taking unto you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's foundational. It's right here. It's how we started the series. It's how we started tonight. We lose so many battles before we even start them because of the way we're thinking. They used to say, down south, I'm going to say it up here, stinking thinking. That's stinking thinking. The wrong mentality, the wrong mindset will set you up for failure every single time. Can't be that easy. Absolutely that easy. Matter of fact, you can write it down as a life hack if you want to. Think the right way. Think the right way. Have faith. Because above all, when I take the shield of faith, that's what quenches the darts before they even get to my body. That's what stops the attack dead in, it tra- dead in its tracks. Now, I'm not going to break this down a whole, whole lot, but there's two main different kinds of shields that this could be talking about. It could be one of the lead shields in battle where you'd see that it's essentially almost as tall as the guy just below his head, just a massive shield that covers the entire body. That's one shield that was wielded. And the purpose of that shield was for protection, but then when the battle got real close, what did it allow you to do? To push. To push. The other option for the shield is more traditional, what you'd think, a smaller shield that's worn, that's wielded, that's able to be moved, able to, move, able, able to block, it's agile. But when beside a brother in battle, you're able to link that up and it becomes twice as big. There's a power to having somebody beside you? Absolutely, I don't have time to preach that. But the shield is, yes, there for defense, But that's not the only thing a shield is used for. You get into close quarter combat and all of a sudden that shield begins to be used to push forward. The picture that Jesus is is, is painting to us through Paul, obviously, in Ephesians right here, the picture that he's painting to us is a church that's putting on this armor, not so that we can just stand with our back to the wall and say, hope it works. That's not what Jesus Christ is calling us to do. He's saying, put on this armor 
so that you can go into battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirit, but against, which means we are wrestling, we are fighting, we are advancing against spiritual wickedness in high places, against things that would exalt themselves in this earth. We're wrestling against these things. We are called to be an advancing church, and our shield of faith is stopping bullets, it's stopping fiery darts, but it's also allowing us an opportunity to push against the enemy. Say, oh, well, I don't know about that. That sounds a little too aggressive for the church let me prove it to you what did he say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church you might not know this but gates don't move so if the gates are prevailing against the church that doesn't mean that the city is marching this way and pushing me back it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church which means that the church should be attacking the gates of hell on a regular basis that's what revival looks like that's what newness of life looks like that's what's saying i'm not going to just become another statistic i'm not going to let these young people just be just another statistic we're going to fight for them we're going to go to battle for them we want to advance the kingdom of god we want to break down every gate that hell has tried to set up every way that he's tried to say you can't come this far Jesus Christ is saying you are prepared to go that far and further because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church we're in attack mode we're ready to go and our shield of faith is what's leading us forward God if you said it I believe it if you declared it I claim it if you called me to do it I stand on your word and I'm going to boldly proclaim the word of faith I'm going to boldly push through the gates of hell and say not today not today devil not my school not my church not my young people, not my family, not my children. He's calling us to advance forward. He's setting us up with the armor to do it. He says, put on the armor, guard your feet, guard your heart, guard your mind, but above all, take a shield of faith so that you can push the enemy and you don't have to worry about the attacks even getting close to you because he says, you've got this, you've got this, this covering, this protection. Hallelujah. Praise God. Stand to your feet if you would right now. This is not a passive message. This is not a passive gospel. This is not a passive call to just surrender and submit to being attacked day in and day out. That is not why he told us to put on the armor of God. He did not call... He did not call the church to put on the armor so that we can just stand there and get beat over the head relentlessly. He called us to put on the armor so that we can go forth into battle. So that we can go forth into battle. And then we have that shield of faith so we don't even have to doubt the outcome. Hallelujah. Praise God. We sang it earlier. There's no battle that my God cannot win. He's stronger than 10,000 armies. He's my champion. There's nothing impossible with him. These are foundational truths. These are things that we need to absolutely know. But I challenge you, if you don't absolutely know it yet, that doesn't mean that you can't believe it. That doesn't mean that you can't still take up a shield of faith. Above all, above everything else, take a shield of faith. I'm not telling you not to do the rest. Please don't get me wrong or misunderstand what I'm saying right now. I am not telling you that you don't have to do the rest. But I am telling you that the most important part, above all, above all, is to take the shield of faith. Because even if this isn't guarded yet, 
even if you're new to this gospel, even if your breastplate might be like the paper version, the pastor's got the real thick steel one, but, but all I got is just a piece of paper. I don't care where you're at with Jesus Christ. I don't care where your relationship is at. You're not excluded from taking up the shield of faith. It says above all, take this shield of faith. Believe, believe, believe that when he says you will be able to withstand, that we'll be able to withstand. Believe that when he says that the gates of hell can't prevail against the church, that they can't prevail against the church. Believe that when he calls you to go forth, he's going to back you up. Believe that when he said in Acts 1-8, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Why? To be a witness. To go forth. His call is always for us to go forth. His call is always for us to advance. And this in Ephesians chapter 6, he's setting us up to be protected as we do it. Praise God. Praise God. It just terrifies me to think that we might have the concept or the idea that we're putting on this armor so that we can just hunker down and hope we don't get defeated. It's not what it's about. That mentality and that mindset, that doesn't create revival. That mentality and that mindset, can I just be honest with you? It's not strong enough for 2023. Batten down the hatches, us four no more. Not gonna work today. Not gonna work today. There's too many attacks. There's a desperation in the city of hell. There's a desperation that he knows his time is running short and he's gonna try and get everything that he can. That shouldn't cause us to cower in fear. What that should do is stir something up and trigger something inside of you to say if they're ramping up for battle, watch and see what I can do. Watch and see what God can do through me. Watch and see what God can do with a church full of people that have put on an armor, that have taken up a shield of faith, that are ready to not stop, to not stand idly by, but to push forward and to pursue. Above all, take the shield of faith. We're able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked. And the wicked does not just mean the devil. This word at its root holds the following possible interpretations of or pertaining to mischief. We talked about that. Malice, guilt, the devil, sinners, bad, evil, grievous, harmful, lewd, or malicious. I'm not going to break down every one of those words right now. But what that tells me is that fiery darts like mischief, malice, guilt, we can be firing those at ourselves. If you're doing the devil's job for him, stop. That's as spiritual as I can make that. Stop. Every fiery dart of the wicked, every attack of guilt, every time that guilt, every time that guilt tries to grip your mind or grip your heart, get inside, you think, oh, well, that's not even the enemy. I'm losing this battle to myself. That's not even the enemy that's coming after me. No, but the Bible still says that it's wicked. That doesn't make the attack any less real. 
doesn't make the attack any less real. But regardless of where the attack is coming from, regardless of where the wicked is coming from, if it's in here, if it's in here, if it's out there, wherever, what quenches every fiery dart? Above all, taking the shield of faith. Your mindset, your belief, and your mentality are the first defense against every attack the enemy can throw your way. Beyond that, we are layering our spiritual body with this armor. Our feet are covered and grounding us and directing us in the gospel. Our vital organs, our heart, our lungs, our stomachs are protected by our actions. And the biblical truth is what holds it all together. One without the other is helpful, but not nearly as effective. That's why he said, put on the whole armor of God. The full armor of God. So that we can what? Live a life of victory. Victory doesn't come by just cowering and hope you survive the onslaught. I'm going to open these altars in just a minute here. As we heard already, you don't have to wait for it. I'm going to open these altars in just a minute, but this isn't even how I, how I prepared and how I wrote this, but the Spirit of God is in this place right now. And I feel two things, and you might think they're conflicting, but they're not. The first one is the Holy Ghost literally stopped me in my tracks when I said guilt. Mm. There's somebody, realistically, there's probably more than one. There's probably a handful or even more than that of people in here that your biggest enemy, your biggest attack is guilt. God gave us a promise. He gave us a command. He said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God Almighty, creator of the universe, the one who sacrificed and went to the cross himself, allowed his flesh to be torn from his body, pierced, hung on a cross, crown of thorns planted upon his head so that we could have forgiveness. If he said, I forgive you, what gives you the right to not forgive yourself? What power do you have greater than the power of God that you cannot forgive yourself? Guilt has been attacking you for too long, sir, ma'am. Guilt has been attacking you for too long. And if that's your story, and if this is resonating with you right now, I wish that nothing would stop you from coming to this altar tonight, from just throwing your hands in the air. I don't even want you to bow down or kneel down because that's a sign of defeat. You're not defeated. You're being given freedom. And the other thing that I'm feeling very strongly right now is an absolutely militant attitude from the church. 
an absolutely militant attitude that says it's, we're done sitting back and watching what's going to happen. I'm done sitting back and trying to survive. I'm done just cowering in fear and saying, oh, what do you got for me today, devil? I hope this shield is up for it. That's not what God is calling us to tonight. I wish some saints of God would come up here with a militant attitude that says I've sat back long enough. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.